Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 8th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest Kids Count report reveals how Mississippi compares to the rest of the nation. Then dollar store workers are organizing, but they're going a different route than the Starbucks and Amazon workers. Plus, we talk to the director of the Office of Management and Budget about the latest jobs report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2022 Kids Count Data Book by the Annie E. Casey Foundation ranks states by child well-being between years 2016 and 2020. The report uses 16 indicators across four categories to identify where each state's challenges lie. Overall, Mississippi ranks 48th this year. It trails the entire nation in both health and family and community indicators, and it is second to last for economic well-being. But despite the low rankings, Mississippi actually improved across 14 of the 16 indicators with the biggest gains in education. Linda Southward, executive director of the Children's Foundation of Mississippi, explains how the data in the report can inform solutions with our Michael Guidry. It can serve as a roadmap of data toward policymakers and and individuals in communities, and individuals who are shaping programs on behalf of Mississippi's children. We know that the pandemic did exasperate some of the concerns that were already out there, but it certainly also gives us opportunity to make additional changes. So while in this report, Mississippi ranks 48th this year, And it's important to note that of the 16 indicators across the four topics of economic well-being, education, health, and family and community, that that there are four uh, indicators in each of those four domains. But Mississippi did improve in these years uh, in 14 of the 16 indicators. Again, most of this was pre-pandemic. Mississippi is 48th, like you said, uh, but you said there were some area, 14 areas of growth. Let's start where the area, well, the, the two areas that did not grow. Where did Mississippi not grow between 2016 and 2020? Uh, well, one was under health. That was child and teen deaths per 100,000. Um, in 2010, uh, Mississippi had 38 
uh, child and teen deaths per 100,000, and in 2020, 46. And the other area were young children ages three and four, not in school. Uh, in Mississippi, in 20, um, 2008 through 2012, it was 47 percent, and in 2016 and 2020, it was 48 percent. So that's not much of a change uh, there, but we do know that, that that was some change. But overall, when you look at the other indicators, um, particularly other indicators in education, Mississippi has improved quite a bit um, because while Mississippi ranks 48th out of all states overall, in education, Mississippi ranked 39th. And despite that sort of relatively low ranking in uh, comparison to 48th overall, we rank among the highest in the 10-year improvements. And again, it's, it's not where we want it to be, but at least it's moving in the, in the right direction. If you look at some of these other categories, especially um, family and community and health, which is where I want to go next, um, those are two places where Mississippi is trailing every other state in the nation. What is putting Mississippi in that 50th spot? And knowing what we know about the Dobbs decision, uh, what that possibly means for women and children in the state of Mississippi, kind of how can we or how can you, looking at this data, looking ahead, um, piece those things together and what it might mean for Mississippi going forward? Well, you've asked an important question and one that it's it's often hard to forecast, but we do know that one of the indicators for health is um, low birth weight babies. And we have, Mississippi has gotten better in that from 12.1% uh, in 2010 to 11.8% in 2020. That's not much of a difference, but again, it's trending in the in a better direction. Um, we also, when when you think about the question you ask, the data book is really meant to help policymakers um, across the states and uh, all states, uh, from the national perspective, to really make informed decisions about user reliability reliable data. And so we do track data on teen births, for example, because it, it, it impacts the well-being of youth and families. And we know that all states can do better, and we hope decision makers will use these data to prioritize health, safety, and opportunity for all children. And how about the, um, the rate of children living in high-poverty areas? That, I mean, right now it's at 22 percent, um, so that's nearly one in every four children in the state living in high-poverty areas. How should something like that inform policymakers when we have one in, almost nearly one in four children living in a high-poverty area? Well, that's, uh, that's true. That's uh, one in four in high-poverty areas, but overall children in poverty is 28 percent in Mississippi, and each of those have gotten better. One of the things that the Children's Foundation, well, actually two publications, the Children's Foundation came out with in the last year or so is um, two publications. One is a risk and reach report, and it's also an opportunity to look at where the services are. So that has been distributed widely. It's still on our website. That's, a, that's an area so that whether a policymaker, a legislator, someone in a nonprofit, working in a state agency, et cetera, can look at information about 
their county and then make some determinations about what can be done on a local level and then how can these concerns and needs be elevated to the state level for whenever there may need some policy changes and are some reinforcement of some policies that uh, have been enacted. When you have a vision of where you need to go and determining ways that we can make some changes that eventually will improve the statistics for children in Mississippi. Looking at one of the indicators under the economic well-being, children living in households with a high housing cost burden, coming out of the pandemic, rent prices have inflated. The housing market has been difficult for middle and low-income earners. Uh, So seeing what this data was like in 2020 uh, and knowing what's changed, what are you looking for and, and what are some of the concerns you might have based on where Mississippi is in these indicators and where it might be when this is reassessed uh, the next time around? Sure. Well, one of the things that the Children's Foundation of Mississippi believes that for um, Mississippi to reach its potential, we must make sure that all our all children of our state reach their potential. But you've you've touched on um, many, all of these indicators are important for children. So when you take a look and we think about economic well-being, for example, to help children grow into prepared, productive adults, parents need jobs with family-sustaining pay and affordable housing and the ability to invest in their children's future. And so... The, the opportunity for parents to be able to make a living wage is to have accesses, access to resources in their community to help with their children's development is so important as we look ahead. But we also know we have a shortage of pediatricians in the state. We have a shortage of mental health counselors, particularly within the school system. So there are many opportunities for for what we have learned and what we understand has happened in the pandemic for Mississippi to look ahead and think about ways that we can put some infrastructure and some programming in that will really help uh, the future of Mississippi's children. So the more that we can invest and support young uh, children and, and, and their families, the better Mississippi is going to be long term. There's lots to look at in this report. We've gone over a few things. Uh, is there anything that or the one thing that we haven't discussed that um, you think is important to articulate regarding the overall report or any of the individual 16 indicators? Well, I really think it comes down to investing uh, for for communities, for policymakers, for agencies to determine where are the areas of the state that have the most need and how can we invest there. And when we do that, we can help raise the outcome for all of our children in the state because we really do if we can work together Mississippi can build a better future for children in our state and I see this happening across many public and private nonprofit organizations particularly in the area of promoting quality early care and education well Linda Southward with the Children's Foundation of Mississippi thank you so much there's lots to go over Um, But thank you for at least giving us uh, a little bit of a snapshot into the 2022 Kids Count Data Report. 
Thank you so much. And if you want more information, you can go to childrensfoundationms.org or any EKC Foundation, AECF.org. Thank you for having us. Coming up, dollar store workers are organizing, but they're going a different route than Starbucks and Amazon workers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Dollar store workers want better pay and work conditions. They're fired up by a labor movement that's led to big union victories at places like Starbucks and Amazon. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports that Louisiana Dollar General workers are also organizing. Just don't call it a union. Around 2017, Anthony Jackson found himself in a typical spot for a college student. His financial aid was running short, and he needed a job. Hey, I'll go work at the dollar store. Not too bad. You ring people up, stock the shelves. Or was I in for a rude awakening? Jackson says both the bathroom and AC were broken at a New Orleans Dollar General he worked at. It was also dangerous, like the time he caught someone shoplifting underwear. I remember saying, hey, stop. And he raised his shirt up and he had his gun. Dollar stores have expanded across the country, especially in the South, and complaints about work conditions and safety have grown with them. David Williams had similar experiences at a different New Orleans Dollar General. He still likes the job, but if he's going to be working that hard, he wants a lot more money. He did recently get a raise from eight twenty-five an hour to nine twenty-five. I'm like, what? What am I gonna do with this? Like, I can't take care of myself like this or or even uh, the possibility of having a family to take care of something like this. This is pretty much like a slap in the face. So Williams got involved with Step Up Louisiana. They're a group organizing dollar store workers in the state. Williams has been recruiting other workers to join up and knows by now how those conversations usually start. The first thing they ask us is, are you a union? And we tell them flat out, no, we're not a union. A lot of the talk around the current labor movement focuses on union elections and victories. But experts say the movement has always included plenty of groups pushing for workers' rights without relying on unionizing. Mentioning unions in the South can be a non-starter. Despite the current union hype, membership was tied for a record low in the country last year, and especially low in southern states. Williams says the people he's recruiting usually relax after he puts aside the U-word. Once the word union is unfearful and it's out the way, that's when we all get together, come up with a plan and figure out how we're going to fight this. Anthony Jackson since graduated from college, and now he's an organizer in training with Step Up. The group supports unions, but they say they're not a union. They use the more palatable term, organization. Organization is better. I've seen it be more smoother because we don't know people's assumptions of what a union may be. What do you see as a difference between those two things? That's that, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, play on words, to be honest. Okay, yes, semantics is a big part of the difference. Though unions do have one big advantage over other labor groups, collective bargaining. Basically, once workers vote to unionize, employers are required by law to negotiate with the union in good faith. 
But getting to that point means winning an election, which can take years. And good faith leaves a lot of wiggle room for those negotiations to drag on for even longer. Other labor groups rely on tactics that don't have the same legal support, but can provide faster results, like going straight to the media. April 26, 2020, written by Kenya Slaughter, myself. Kenya Slaughter works at a Dollar General in Alexandria, Louisiana. During the pandemic, Step Up Louisiana helped her get an op-ed she wrote published by the New York Times. I've been working at Dollar General here for more than two years. My manager is wonderful and I have a great relationship with my customers. But when I took this job, I never planned to become a worker on the front line of a pandemic. I closed the register. Slaughter called out Dollar General for not providing workers with protective equipment like masks and plexiglass in front of cash registers. After the op-ed went out, Slaughter says the company quickly sent out the gear. Did not need a union to get that done, and it got done expeditiously. <laughs> they sent us an overflow, especially my store, because I was there. I had all type of people calling my phone trying to see what they could do. Other tactics labor groups rely on include petitions, pressuring politicians, and protesting. Step Up did just that outside a Dollar General shareholder meeting last May. The protesters brought orange banners, picket signs demanding safer stores, and a New Orleans second-line band. Now, other changes have been slow coming since Slaughter's 2020 op-ed, and she's not ruling out pushing for a union someday. But a union is a tool, not an end goal. And she says now's not the right time. I won't say that I hope that we end up a union. Ultimately, I just want what's right. For her, that means better scheduling, more security, and at least $15 an hour. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Coming up, we talk to the director of the Office of Management and Budget about the latest jobs report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's time for the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. Visit the state capitol in Jackson from 9 to 5 p.m. and visit inside the rotunda on the first floor. The MPB Kids Club will be ready with Ed Said, PBS's Molly from Denali, plus activities and giveaways. Join Mississippi Public Broadcasting for adventure in both body and brain at the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. More info at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Last week's job report was better than expected, nearly double what the projections were. But inflation rates remain high, and the national GDP, or gross domestic product, has shrunk for two straight quarters. So what can be made of the jobs report? Shalanda Young, director of the Office of Management and Budget, shares that and more with MPB's Michael Guidry. It says we have an exceptionally strong labor market. It says that the number of unemployment uh, matches the lowest level in 50 years in this country. It says that more Americans are at work uh, than in any point in the history of this country. Uh, So it certainly uh, heartens us, and I think it should hearten anyone who looks at economic figures about where uh, this economy is and where it's headed. 
the uh, job numbers are are good. They're better than expected. Uh, unemployment rates are down. The Mississippi, it's been, uh, I know last month it was the lowest it's been. And like you said, more jobs being added uh, uh, to the, the workforce. But wages seem to be remaining stagnant. What can we make of this this continued growth uh, in job opportunities and the labor market, um, while at the same time seeing, seeing lay, uh, wages kind of remain where they are without any real growth? Uh, we're seeing some wage growth, um, but we're not seeing enough, clearly, um, to keep up with some of the price pressures that are in the economy. We, we're clear about that. We, we get that. The president gets that. Uh, that is why when we tackle inflation, uh, we want to make sure we keep the wage growth we do have uh, while bringing down costs to the American people. Uh, that is why you've seen the president uh, ensure that we do things like bring down gas prices for the American people. Uh, when you look at uh, things uh, the American people face, uh, what they pay at the pump is a huge portion of that. We've seen seven consecutive weeks of gas price reduction in this country, um, and it is no, in no large part to what the president is doing um, by releasing, for example, over 100 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, regarding gas prices, and they are lowering, um, but there are indications that the the oil market, um, you know, might be might be rebounding. Prices of oil might be going up. Based on what the president's been able to do, how long can can he sustain this this decline in prices, uh, or should we expect maybe some leveling off uh, at, at the point they're at now? I think it's it's important to know that the president believes we have to tackle this from many different directions some of which will require Congress uh, to be our partner here. Uh, you know, the president called for a gas tax holiday. We think that's one, uh, one point uh, that could uh, impact uh, gas prices. Release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve I've talked about. The president's also been clear to international and domestic producers. They have to do more, uh, including on the re- refinery side. Uh, so he is not going to let up, uh, and he has certainly directed his Department of Energy uh, to have conversations with those companies. Those will be ongoing. Um, but we have to tackle gas prices from every direction, uh, some of which the president can do on his own, and some he'll need partners uh, in Congress to accomplish. Speaking of Congress, um, it looks like the, the the president might finally be able to get over the hill with some of the other policy priorities he had. Um, it looks like he's going to have support in the Senate for uh, this latest bill. What is the outlook there and what will be the impact on the economy and the job market um, if this bill were to, to finally clear? This bill is historic. This bill will bring down costs to the American people. Uh, imagine parents who can't afford life-saving drugs for, for their children. Many people have said in the past they wanted to do tackle the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, this president, this Congress, our partners in Congress are going to be able to do that if this bill is enacted. Also, bring down energy costs for the American people. And by the way, uh, bring down the deficits in this country, which will uh, in turn bring down uh, inflation. So we are really excited about this piece of legislation. I believe the American people uh, will be a direct beneficiary of the health care of the energy uh, pieces, and certainly most Americans agree uh, we should be using this to also bring down the deficit. Yesterday, the U.S. Senate advanced the Inflation Reduction Act with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking a 50-50 tie. Mississippi Senators Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith voted against the measure.
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.